What's up? So we're back. We're busting through for a new episode of Obsessible. That's where you are. That's what you clicked play on. This is the Obsessible podcast. And on this show, I talk TV. I talk movies, just like I would with my girls, my colleagues, my booze and my bays. This is episode six. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, pause. Stop for a second, jump back into time, go back to episode one and start there. I appreciate you, but I really kind of feel like you need to get like a vibe, a feel for what this podcast is like. You might not know jumping in on episode six, so just pause for a second and go on back and then you can catch up and then be where we're all at and then, you know. We can see if you pass the vibe check or heck, we can see if I pass the vibe check. You know, I'm going to pass the vibe check. <laughs> Quit playing. Okay. So episode six, I took a little bit of a break. I usually like to drop more episodes in a month, but I need to get some other stuff done. This is very time consuming. If you podcast, you know what I'm talking about. Heck, if you do anything, you know what I'm talking about. Everything takes time and does require a certain level of energy. And I always want to give my best. So sometimes I just got to pause, do other things and come on back. But that's exactly what I've done. And here we are. We are back with it. So since episode five, I've definitely finished watching a bunch of shows and I've seen a few movies and, uh, you know, we're going to talk about it. Um, I'm going to share all of that, all of my thoughts with my friends and by my friends, I mean you. Plus, I'm going to be talking about new movies. Um, well, maybe not new, new, like like 21, 21 drop, 2021 drops, but new for me because I ain't seen them. Um, <laughs> or I knew about them and I and finally decided to watch them where I was just in a mood and they suited my needs based on the trailer. I was like, all right, cool. I can get into it. So we're going to talk about some new movies. Um, also, once again, if you are new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Nicole. I'm also known as Nikki to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend, honey, so we can do what we always do. Plot to take over the world one episode at a a time. If you got that reference, you found your tribe. And if you didn't, it's okay. It's cool. I will get you there. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. Help, help your girl out. Let's boost these numbers. Let's get other people listening and talking and tweeting and Instagramming and making comments and doing all that good, good. Okay. So let's get into it. So in episode five, I was in the middle of watching a show on Amazon Prime called Panic. I've since finished that show and I'm back with a full review. There's a bunch of other shows actually I'm going to talk about. Some might get honorable honorable mentions, but we're going to focus on three different shows for full reviews. Um, 
So there's another show that's also on Amazon. It never used to stream on Amazon, but I'm really, really glad it did because this whole pan-a-pan-a-tamic foolishness that we've been in for the last, oh my God, year and a half more, maybe. I hope y'all lives are being freed up because ours are just kind of getting there and the Lord is to tell what the future is going to hold. But here we are. But I'm glad, let me just get back to it. <laughs> I'm glad that Amazon was streaming younger because I really miss, missed the show last year and having it on Amazon actually made it really, really easy to to watch and actually catch up because I when the season started, I was like, what the heck? I definitely missed something here. And I did have to go back and catch up on the last couple of episodes of season six, just so I could be prepared for it. But that show, which I think I snuck the name in there, is called Younger. And it is on Amazon Prime. And uh, I never talked about it before, but I'm definitely going to talk about it because it just wrapped its final season. And um, I have some thoughts. There, There's things, things that have been thunk. Okay, and I need to I need to say them out of my mouth. So that's what we're gonna do there. Um, so that's younger and it's on Amazon Prime. Then we have another show um, that actually is out on Netflix now and it is a graphic novel to t- TV show adaptation. It is produced by Robert Downey Jr. and his wife and it's called Sweet Tooth. Um, that dropped on Netflix on June 9th and I'm lying. It did not drop on June 9th. What dropped on June 9th was Loki. And that's the other show that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Loki, um, which dropped on June 9th as opposed to June 11th, um, on Disney plus. And also finally, we're going to talk about season two of Flack, which just dropped on Amazon prime. So I saw season one. And I wasn't expecting a season two so quickly, but clearly they were ahead of the game coming into this pandemic situation. So we got season two this year, which was really good. And I've, I have lots of things, lots of things to say about Flack. Uh, so you're going to, if you haven't, if you don't even know what that show is about, you're going to want to stick around um, just to catch some little bit, uh, a little bit of idea, a little bit of sweet tea on that one. Um, and then kind of decide for yourself what you're going to do about all of these different shows. But for movies, for movies, for movies, I finally watched Rhea and the Last Dragon. I also watched, um, Map of Tiny Perfect Things. <sighs> Love that one. Um, and a movie that just premiered on Amazon Prime, I think last week or the week before called Boss Level. So that's what we're talking about. Um, and then for what's happening in Hollywood, I'm going to give you a full recap. Well, not a full recap. What I'm going to do, <laughs> and I'm going to, is I'm going to talk about the information that was given about things that I actually was wanting to hear about for Netflix Geeked Week. Um, so I'm not going to fully recap Geeked Week, but I'm going to tell you about the things that I was wanting to know about. Um, and so Geek Week wrapped from, uh, went, not wrapped, went from June 7th to June 11th. So I'm going to give you a little bit of tea from that and we're gonna talk about a couple other things that happened some premieres uh shows that premiered this week and uh films that premiered this week just a couple i'm gonna sprinkle that in there and then to wrap up the entire episode uh we're gonna talk hilarious tweets about tv in twitter me laughing and the tweets i chose are all about the series finale of younger so 
peoples, the Goyles, the folks, the fans are not happy. And they expressed their displeasure on Twitter. And it's so funny to me that Twitter is such a heavy topic of discussion on the show itself, only for the show to find itself the topic of discussion. (laughs) Really, 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 really ironic. Nonetheless, those are the tweets we're going to focus on. But since you're here, grab a snack, grab a drink, get comfortable, or, you know, take me with you while you're walking your dog, driving to work, going to the gas station, going to go get a snack, sitting in the drive-thru, you know, just take me with you. This, this is what it is. Portable entertainment. Let's get started. This is Obsessible, and I'm so glad that you are here. Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? Okay, so first up for TVs, what was up, what's up now, and what's up next is Panic. So Panic is the show that I chose for what was up because it was what's up. Um, I've already seen it. I've watched the entire season and we are back with a full review of the show. So, okay. So just to catch you up, I talked about this in episode five. This show is uh, set in a town called Carp, Texas. It's believed to kind of be like this sleepy dead end town. You either are from the haves or the have nots. The haves, they get out, they get to go to college, um, possibly live a completely different life, but it, they have a way of escape if you have money. If you don't have money, you're kind of fine. You're kind of from the other side of the tracks, living in the trailers, then really life is about somehow eking out a living for yourself um, and creating some sort of happiness. But the chances of you getting out of Carp, Texas are slim to none. And here is where the the show introduces the concept of the game as a means of escape, or at least it's what they believe. And by they, I mean the people who are playing the game and those young folks from the wrong side of the tracks who happen to live in Carp, Texas, and also are eligible to participate. Now, in order to play the game, you have to be a graduating senior in high school. Um, The game was made up by the kids, and it's protected by the kids. And basically, in the summer, um, once the game starts, it puts them in all of these separate challenges, and each challenge Um, requires you to pass it, allowing you to collect a certain amount of points. And if you have collected those points, you can do other things to collect extra points from that specific challenge, but then um, you'll be able to move on to the next challenge and so on and so forth until such time as the game winds all the way down and there's only one or two people left standing and then they go off. They have to face each other head to head. So another thing to know about the game is that there are judges. Nobody knows who the judges are. Um, There are two hosts. Everyone knows who the hosts are. Um, And the judges from each year choose the judges for the next year. But basically that's it. It's like a huge secret. It's kept, it's kept tightly under wraps. Um, As stories go, it's, fairly basic but I mean with the premise of the game as the centerpiece of the story there was a real opportunity for something very interesting 
to happen. Um, but what I feel like is that they just didn't capitalize on um, what they could have done with the game as much as they could have. Like, it could have just been deeper. And I just feel like it wasn't as deep as it could have been. In any case, there's a sinister plot happening in the background of the game. And even though the kids own the game, there are other people who have their own stake in the outcome. Um, and then add to that, local law enforcement is basically trying to do everything that, that they can to stop the kids from playing. And that's because the year before, two kids died. Now, why it's at this point the law enforcement has stepped in to try to stop these kids from playing and not years and years and years and years and in before because the game like they allude to the fact that the game is being played for years and years and years but it's only when these two children die do law enforcement decide that they want to step in and they're doing a pretty good of hunting down and getting in the middle and 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 intervening with gameplay um for the most part but it's still not really stopping the game and then you know that actually presents a question whether or not the game itself can be stopped um i really don't know if i know the answer to that question but it's interesting it's an interesting one to say the least okay so at the start of the show i was pretty clear on who the culprit would be and i kept watching this the show to basically see how it would play out the game, like I said, it was a great angle for the show. Um, it was a really good way to reveal characters and to place them in real peril while we kind of figure out who the villains really were. Um, except that the game, like I said, was not used in the most effective way that it could be. Um, it was like more of like um, like an afterthought almost. Like we know that they're playing the game, but it's it's just not as centralized. It's, it's not used by the villain in the way that the villain should have used that just just my opinion i think that the villain should have used the game in a different way and they he just they, they just didn't so i just kind of found that that was lacking for me um but you know nonetheless i still wanted to see how it all played out the other thing that i found was that the characters weren't really memorable like there wasn't really anyone that i was rooting for um I'm a big, like, I feel like obviously characters need to be layered and nuanced and all of that. But then there's just like something that makes like, that annoys me when characters just make bad decisions or they do things that I feel like would be in direct opposition to their actual character um, or who they've revealed themselves to be to the audience. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I don't just actually think that you would do that. So that just seems weird to me. And then it starts, you know, feeling disingenuous and I'm like, oh, what is going on? And that's kind of what I feel like happened with the main character, Heather. So let's talk about the characters. So there is Heather, her two best friends, Bishop and Natalie. Then there's the resident asshole and part-time sociopath, Ray Hall. And then mystery man, new kid in town, new kid on the block, Dodge Mason who's playing the game for his own particular reasons. As we find out, those reasons include um, basically being the inside man <laughs> so that he can spy on the game and report back to law enforcement. So he's kind of a snitch, but not really. 
Uh, one of the things that I found that was kind of like weird. So Natalie is like very confident, very pretty. She's from the right side of the tracks. She's Heather's best friend, right? She takes a vested interest in Dodge. Natalie is playing the game. Dodge is playing the game. Heather is playing the game and Ray is playing the game. Bishop wants no parts. He is not playing the game and he actually didn't want Natalie or Heather playing the game. Okay, cool. Natalie, in her studies of the game, decides that she wants to see and try to get a better understanding of all the people who are actually competing against her. And because Dodge seems to be the one person that she doesn't really have any intel on, she basically starts to um, worm her way into Dodge's life under the guise of friendship, but really she's doing reconnaissance. Um, the problem is, is that as this goes on, she starts to kind of like, I guess, develop feelings, but that's not really how it comes off. It comes off as she's just throwing herself at him. And I just mean like shamelessly throwing herself at him. There is a scene where they're in this haunted house or it's supposed to be a haunted house and um, they're in the dark. It's just the two of them. And she's like pressing herself, like the press on this man. And I'm like, and this kid looks at her. She asks him, well, what do you want Dodge Mason under like lamplight? The whole, it's like the scene is set, right? This kid looks her dead in her face. He's literally six inches from her her nose is like six inches from his nose if that and he says to win the game and walks out the room i was dead i was dead devastation <laughs> i was like oh my god whoa if that is not a dagger between the eyes like just rip a person's heart out like but can i tell you how this girl showed up at the man's house the next day as if nothing happened and tried again until he caved and they ended up sleeping together. I was like, no. Just no. No. No, no, no. There has to be a point where you say, dude, if, okay, maybe you backed out of it in the moment. And if you really, that kind of rejection is not for me. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's not for me. No way. I, I don't even know if I could have showed my face the next day. Much less showed up to the man's house to try again. No. He would have to really rally the troops and like, come on and get me. Like, send in the cavalry, send in the big guns. Like, no, no, no. I am, I would not. I was so triggered watching that. I was like, oh, God, no. Absolutely not. And for who Natalie is and how she comes off, it that doesn't even seem realistic to me. No type of way. Okay. That's Natalie. <laughs> um, The other thing that I found annoying, and I think I've already talked about this, is the good boy, bad boy situation that Heather has found herself in. Juggling between or trying to determine who she's going to go for. Choices are Bishop, the best friend who's had her back and been by her side, you know, yay. And this asshole slash sociopath slash psychopath Ray Hall, who basically is the worst kind of bully um, and has never ever been respectful towards her but of course naturally he's the guy that she makes out with and hooks up with right and then tries to hide it from bishop because really truthfully she's doing that because she kind of feels rejected by bishop even though she never really told the dude that she like what is the problem here 
the lack of communication and then the choices then which leads to bad choices then i'm looking at the character like why i honestly feel like you probably never would have done that like if you really were who you say you are or who you presented yourself to the audience to be i don't think you would actually have done that now i'm annoyed that you made this choice uh, Can, can you guys, can you feel my like <laughs> annoyance at this? <sighs> In any case. So that kind of just didn't leave any kind of warm and fuzzies towards the characters. Those two big kind of things that happened. Um, just kind of like, uh, I was annoyed. But, you know, I kept watching because I really wanted to see how what I thought would happen, what would happen. Like I wanted to see if I was going to be right. So when it kind of all was revealed who the villain was, why they did what they did. Okay, so that all, none of that surprised me because I had, like I said, within like the first episode, decided that I knew what was up. And, but what did surprise me was how the villain got, got and who got them um, and how all of that played out. So that was surprising. That was a nice little twist and it was very satisfy satisfying as well. Um, and like I said, I also thought for that for once the good guy would get the girl, but nope, the writers, they played me. Um, and I think if anything, my one wish is that Heather had more ambition for herself. Um, I think in summation, I would say it was fun to watch. It's overall all right, like two and a half, three stars. It's not, certainly not terrible. Not, definitely not terrible. You know, I mean, it was fun. Um, and that's Panic. Panic is on Amazon Prime. All episodes are currently streaming and there's one season available. So I should have mentioned at the top of this segment that we're not talking about three shows, as I had mentioned in my opening, but we are actually talking about four shows. So the second show in the What's Up Now portion of this segment. So I did, um... Panic, I use for what was up. And so for what's up now, the first show we're going to talk about is Sweet Tooth. So Sweet Tooth stars Nonso and Zoe as Big Man or Jeopard, Christian Convery as Gus, Stefania Lavi Owen as Bear, Dania Ramirez as Amy, Adil Akhtar as Dr. Aditya Singh, and it's narrated by James Brolin. I want to also say off the top, talking about Sweet Tooth, is that this show is the way that narration is supposed to happen. Um, narration doesn't often come off as well as it's supposed to, but um, Sweet Tooth uses the narrator in the best possible way to set up the things that we're seeing and to and to set up the experiences that the characters are having. So... Um, yeah, as opposed to another show that I just started watching, which is called Sex Life, which just dropped on Friday, June 25th, um, that does not use narration in the best possible way. I actually find it very annoying, the narration that's happening in um, in Sex Life, and I kind of wish it would stop. <laughs> but back to Sweet Tooth. So as I said, Sweet Tooth is a Netflix property, and it is a graphic novel to TV show adaptation um, and based on a graphic novel of the same name. Um, I also have to note to myself 
that I really need to stop watching post-apocalyptic shows that feature viruses that kill humans while in a pandemic because, well, <laughs> I mean, like, we're, we're in a pandemic and it's kind of stressing me out. <laughs> um, I'm looking at all these shows and movies and I'm, I'm drawing all these different parallels and I'm like, this is freaking me out just a little bit. I don't know how entertaining this actually is and I need to ask myself, why am I doing this to myself? Um, <laughs> And I'm probably not the only one who's having that experience, but here we are. In any case, uh, Sweet Tooth is this name of the show um, on Netflix. And it kind of came to my attention when I spotted an interview uh, with Robert Downey Jr. and his wife. And they were talking about why they had decided to get behind producing this show. And I thought, okay, well, this is totally cool. Graphic novel adaptation produced by RDJ and his wife. And the graphic novel is, um, the graphic novel is a DC comic. So I was like, it's my favorite comic producing house. I don't know what the hell, comic house, what are they? Anyway, <laughs> when you spend too much time in the world of fashion and everything is a house, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I learned, what are those called? Anyway, someone tell me. I digress. So that's kind of how I found out about Sweet Tooth. Um, I'm not done watching the show, but just to give you a little bit of an idea as to what the show is about and what you will see when you watch it. So essentially there's this virus, they call it the sick. It has infected and killed millions of people. At the same time that the virus begins, children who were born, they were already born, um, literally hours before the pandemic really starts to level um, humanity, these kids begin to transform into human-animal hybrids. Now, the hybrids, they can't catch the sick and they can't transmit the sick. But what they do do is give humans someone to blame. And whenever these shows or movies depict humanity in an apocalyptic type situation, there is always someone who needs to be blamed. And unfortunately for these children, it's them. Now... The crux and the issue and the basic idea um, that every single pandemic, apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic type of show or movie, whether it is based on a virus or a, it's a zombie apocalypse, is that humanity always tends to degrade to the lowest possible version of itself. Um, humanity is often an almost always depicted as cruel, murderous, and chaotic. And this post-virus world is literally no different. So some 10 years after the virus ravages the earth, it's still in, like society is still in this endemic state. And there are times when the sick rears up and devastates areas completely. And with whenever a person is believed to have any version, not any version, but... When any, if anyone is suspected of having the sick, the way that it's dealt with is absolutely horrific. And that doesn't get shown until like maybe episode four or five. Um, and basically like they will kill the person and every single person who lives in that person's house, they burn that bitch to the ground. 
Okay. Like you literally can't talk your way out of it. Nothing. And the people in your neighborhood will watch you burn and they will feel no type of way about it. This is what I'm talking about where humanity literally degrades to the worst possible version of itself. So we're living in this endemic state where the, the sick doesn't, has not ever fully gone away. Um, so there are like few, a few stories being told. There's the one of Gus um, and Jeopard. Gus is primarily the main character, but his story is told in conjunction with these other stories. You just don't ever, you don't see him right now where I'm at. Um, you don't see him mix with the other storylines but I'm sure they're going to converge and all end up running along the same path at this at some point. I'm just not there yet. So <clears throat> there's Gus and Jeopard and they are on a mission to find Gus's lost mother. He's never met his mother. His father raised him before he became um, um, afflicted with the sick and died. And so now Gus is on this mission to find his mother. Um, Gus, Gus has literally been isolated his whole life and doesn't really know what the world is like. But basically, upon meeting Jeopard, he kind of finds a protector and a friend, even though Jeopard is completely a reluctant one. And Gus lovingly and sometimes affectionately calls him Big Man. Then there's the story of Amy and her hybrid daughter, Pigtail, who live in a zoo, an abandoned zoo. Um, and finally, the story of Dr. Adita Singh and his wife, Ronnie Singh. Dr. Adita was kind of like at the forefront of the pandemic when it really began, and he um was like really in the trenches trying to save people when his wife Ronnie um came down with it no now although she's been infected for about 10 years she, she hasn't transmitted it to her husband and it has not killed her however it doesn't mean that she's safe and and um Dr. Singh is working to find a cure for his wife she currently manages her disease with a cocktail of drugs that was developed by another doctor who since succumb to cancer and so he's now where I'm at in the store he's taking over the research and still and trying to progressively find this cure but he's having to do things that he doesn't necessarily he doesn't not, not necessarily agree with but he doesn't agree with but he's doing it to try to save his wife so like I said I'm about halfway through the season I'm enjoying it so far it's not surprising in any way but it's also not boring it's extremely evenly paced um, and I'm really not attempting to predict anything about what's going to happen. Um, but it is taking me a while to get through it. Like I've come, I've watched whole other shows and I've still not finished Sweet Tooth yet. I don't know. And I guess, I guess just a mood thing, I guess. Um, but if you're into this genre, I think I definitely think you'll enjoy it, but I don't necessarily think it might, it'll excite you unless you were a fan of the graphic novel before it was adapted to the television show. If you were already a fan, then yes, you're going to love everything about it. Um, but other than that, I feel like if you're just watching it because you're into the genre, it, it's it's cool. I mean, it's fun. So far, so good. Um, and that's Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Um, my suggestion, watch. All right. So that was Sweet Tooth on Netflix. And as I said, my recommendation is to watch. So the next show, and you know what? Can I, okay, can I just pause? Again, maths, not my strong suit. <laughs> and I'm annoying myself with the fact that I do all of this podcast research, pull all of this stuff together and still cannot share with you the accurate number of shows and movies we're going to discuss. 
it literally takes me like two or three times to figure out, you know, how many were, you know, what I'm going to do here. The actual number of shows we're talking about today is five. Five. So five shows for episode six. Okay. So show three, now that, you know, five, the number is five. Show number three is a show that I've been watching for several years now and uh, was sorely, sorely missed last year when the pandemic put everything on pause and we couldn't uh, get a res- get some resolution to the things that had happened in the previous season. And that show is called Younger. Now, it stars um, Hilary Duff as Kelsey, Sutton Foster as Liza Miller. I love her name, Sutton. Like for a girl, it's like so, I love her name. Anyway, Debbie Mazar, icon, as Maggie Amato, Nick Tortorella as Josh, Peter Herman as Charles Brooks, um, Molly Bernhard as Lauren Heller, and Miriam Shore as Diana Trout. So, as season seven opens, there is this lingering question that has left us, that literally left us all like mouths hanging open at the end of season six. And when I started season seven um, and jumped into episode one, I literally was like, wait, what? What did I miss? So I literally had to go back and watch like the last couple of episodes from season six to even remind myself that this crazy thing had happened. And that thing is that Charles asks Liza to marry him. I mean, what's not to love? The man gets her. She gets along with his girls. I mean, his his girls actually adore Liza. And he gets along with her daughter. And her daughter, really, Caitlin, really likes Charles. The problem is, is that Liza doesn't want to get remarried. Progressive or foolish? Hmm. I mean, he proposed at a wedding that Liza... Diana's wedding, to be exact, <laughs> that Liza is the maid, was the maid of honor for. And I'm questioning whether or not the timing was, was, was right for this popping of a question type of thing. Um, and I kind of low key feel like, you know, that's really just a way to steal the bride's thunder. And, um, that is a, a wedding faux pas. I don't care. Like, don't propose to people at other people's weddings. Like, it's not about you. It's about the people who are getting married and starting their life. And that should be the focus. Like, I just personally don't think it's cool. Don't propose at other people's weddings. Okay. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Ultimately, what happens is Liza says no. She doesn't want to get remarried again. And this turns out to be like an absolute deal breaker for Charles. Like, Charles is like, what? I'm like not expecting that from her at all. And then you know what happens because this, this basically goes down in the first episode, first two episodes of the season. We now are going to spend the entire rest of the season trying to figure out whether or not Charles and Liza are going to get back together. What's going to happen next? Is Liza going to go back to Josh? Like what's the deal, right? Okay. So my thoughts initially, like, after they break up, I was like, okay, what is the most realistic thing that could happen for these two people considering? Like, I feel like that even, like, for the premise of the show, it's highly unlikely that Josh and Liza are going to end up back together. But because this is for a for TV type of scenario, it's it's possible. Because in reality, like if this is two people, right? And real people, Charles provides something for Liza that she needs, which is common ground and stability. They are into the same things, but not just that. They're like 
they enjoy each other, right? She is fully herself just as much as she is with Josh or was with Josh. She's fully herself with Charles. And there's a level of experience and maturity that Charles brings to the relationship that Josh just doesn't seem to have yet. And even if they were to get together, their 15-year age difference, I mean, Josh will likely change a lot over the course of the time that they would end up together over a lifetime. And the person that he is now, which would be probably around the age of 30, because this is episode seven, this is season seven. Um, so they met when they were about, when he was 26. So yeah, so about 30 at this point, he's going to change. Um, so is that relationship really sustainable? Okay, so I'm realizing something. Some of you might not even know what this show is, who these characters are, what this is about. So let me just rewind real quick. All right. So I dove in. Let me give you the backstory. So Younger is about Liza Miller. When the show starts, she is a 40-year-old woman who begins to masquerade as a 26-year-old woman so that she could re-enter the world of publishing, which she left behind some 15 years prior um, because she chose domestic bliss over a salary. Now, in reality, what happened was she had a job. She was in publishing. She got in right out of school, but then she got pregnant. Um, got married, got pregnant, and chose to be a full-time mom while her husband chose dentistry. (laughs) Um, Her domestic bliss kind of turns into like a jilted wife's nightmare when she finds out that uh, after like 20 odd years, um, her husband is leaving her for a younger woman. He's having an affair. And oh, hold on. He's also destroyed them, their economic prospects completely. Like they're devastated financially. He's remortgaged their house multiple times. And that's just basically to cover his gambling debts, which Liza had no idea existed. Super tragic. But honestly, this really kind of gives Liza the opportunity to set herself up for one hell of a second act. Now, here's the problem. She's woefully out of touch. Um, let me pause here to say this. This drives me insane. Hollywood has this obsession with painting people in their 40s as out of touch. Like, do y'all think Jay-Z is out of touch? You think Diddy is out of touch? J-Lo? Ellen? Do any of these people seem out of touch? And most of these people are way, 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 way older than 40. And the answer is hell no. Okay? Now, yet. All right? Just because you turn 40 does not mean you all of a sudden fall into this, like, abyss of obsolescence like you just completely start stop realizing how the world works what's going on what's hot what's not what people are saying i mean if you pay attention to anything pop culture related if you have an instagram if you have a twitter account if you watch the news if you watch tv in general you should pretty much be able to stay on the cusp of things so this like oh, I have no idea what anything is kind of attitude just really annoys the crap out of me and it's pervasive in Hollywood and I need this to change. Okay. Like, I mean, give me a damn break. There is this other truth that, you know, 
not everyone at that age is living this domesticated life. That's another thing that uh, Hollywood likes to perpetuate. Uh, some people are living very much like Liza's bestie, Maggie Amato, played by Debbie Mazar, and they're feeding their soul. She's artistic. She's doing her thing. She lives in the city. She has this great lot um, in Brooklyn, and she's on her own, and she's happy doing that, which is cool, you know? Some people um, are doing both actually like they're feeding their soul and they're living in suburban bliss housewife mom father uh whatever but they're doing both it it's never this thing of one or the other that is actually a quite much a falsehood so if you're going to grab anything from my little rant that i am on it is this you can actually have it all. Ho, ho, novel idea. And you don't need a fairy godmother to make it all happen. Okay? Just wanted to throw that in there. Anyway, so let me just climb down off my soapbox. <laughs> but, okay, you get it, right? All right, so in season one, episode one, we meet all the people who are eventually going to come to Adora. Liza, of course, Kelsey, Josh, who at first is just like this sexy stranger that Liza meets in a crowded bar in Brooklyn one night when she's out with Maggie. Diana is introduced as bitter. And as I've, and because I was preparing for this particular episode, I knew I was going to be talking about the show. I decided that I was going to jump back to season one and rewatch a couple of episodes and really that just spiraled into a complete rewatch of the show and I'm now on episode and I'm now on season 3 in a like halfway through season 3 um but this where I what we feel for Diana by the time we get to season 7 is not where we started out with Diana Diana is bitter in the beginning she is disgruntled she is very out of touch she's a snob she is um like, she's super, she's very much a hater. She's rude. She's incredibly arrogant. <laughs> I mean, like, and she's only 43. That's how, what the age that they've given her in the show. And I'm like, 43 where? 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 If I was saying who, I would sound like an owl. <laughs> but like, no, sis, don't buy it. Um, It's a joke. Then you have Lauren with her inappropriate comments about Liza's lady parts. But it's the run-in with Josh that gives Liza, well, in truth, Maggie, the idea to have Liza lie about her age to get the job, which she does. And of course, which begins Liza's web of of deceit, which starts to unravel at the end of season one and then continues to further unravel with a bunch of dodgy bullets up until basically season three. All right, so that's the premise for the show and a quick snapshot of and of, of the opening season. So back to season seven. So Charles has proposed to Liza. She said no. Then here comes this female billionaire who we love to hate, Quinn Tyler. I mean, she's bad and all, but really she was just waiting to sink her hooks into Charles. Like she really was like, you know, just sitting in the sidelines, peeping him like, hmm, if she ever lets him go, I'm in there like swimmer. You know she's a plotting asshole. She was plotting and scheming, and that's what she did. The opportunity presented herself, and she dove right in there. The truth is, it's a little bit derivative, and this particular season is very rom-com, like super, super will-they-won't-they, will-they-won't-they, will-they-won't-they for the entire freaking season. But... 
here's what I loved about it, which actually has nothing to do with the story. So I'm just going to really say this quickly. Liza herself looks the best she ever looked in any season period. I literally was like, please give me that outfit, that outfit, that outfit, that outfit. Give me that jacket. I want that bag. Give me those shoes. She looks amazing. I don't know what happened. I'm pr I know that the costume designer is Patricia Field, who, as we all know, was a costume designer. Maybe we don't all know, but she was a costume designer for Sex in the City and we all saw how them heifers looked. So, um, yeah, she's always been the costume designer on this show. And I literally don't know why it's this season, but this season, Liza is knocking it out of the park. Love her wardrobe. All right. So back to Quinn. For the record, I don't really like Quinn, but that's mostly because of the things that she did, her character did, her previous antics. But I also don't like the narrative that is painted around her at all. So Quinn and Charles, like they become a thing whilst Liza has to watch. And Charles is still obviously in love with her, but he can't, he doesn't feel, he feels like he would be taking a risk and it's a waste of time to be with her. So there's all of this angst and awkwardness and anxiety between them, which is kind of hot actually, but still a little bit annoying because you just want them to get it, to get over it. Like just do what you guys got to do already. Um, Quinn, who should know all about a rebound, plows ahead anyway, only for the inevitable to happen. And this is where they lost me. So it's this that lost me for this particular season. We waited the entire season for them to get back together and for Charles to realize that he had that made this huge mistake, which he does. But then the, the writers turn him into this like super manipulative man who does things that the Charles we used to know and love wouldn't in order to see what, you know, Liza is made of, like to see if she's tr trustworthy, only to then decide she's not for a relationship, but simultaneously hand over the reins of his company to her. It makes no sense. So basically in the end, the audience is left with this, like what the heck just happened moment. And let me tell you, Twitter agrees. They were not happy. Uh, overall, I enjoyed the last season, especially Liza's wardrobe, like I mentioned. Um, but everything else, mm. I also didn't like the fact that like they, they, one of the other things they were doing this season, they really set Kelsey up to leave, which spoiler alert, she does. But the whole, her leaving pulls her across the country, which I honestly kind of felt like was not necessary. Like, I feel like she could have done great remaining in New York. Um, and there were talks of a spinoff for Kelsey, but we don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition. Um, yeah, but you know, everything else definitely feel like this is a show that you would watch. There are seven seasons. Episodes are about 25 to 30 minutes long. So you can get them, uh, real, get through them really, really quickly. And, um, if I could describe it, it's, it's super corny, angsty, awkward, really funny and very sweet. Um, I think you guys would absolutely really enjoy this show. So that's Younger. And all seasons of Younger are streaming on Amazon Prime globally. I totally miss Younger already. I mean, the season, the series just ended and I'm already in a rewatch. And I already miss the characters and I'm a little bit bummed that there isn't going to be more of this story. But we have to move on. So the next show that I want to talk to you about is Flack. 
and I discovered this show last year, like late last year, I want to say. Um, and already season two was released. So I was like, okay, this is super exciting. Um, Flack stars Anna Paquin as Robin. Uh, you'll remember Anna because she, uh, her breakout role was in True Blood. Let me confirm that. I am correct. It is True Blood. <laughs> Where she started alongside Stephen Moyer, who is her now husband, and actually also directs um, a couple of episodes on this show as well. It also stars Sophie Okonedo as Caroline, Lydia Wilson as Eve, and Rebecca Benson as Meta as Melody. Uh, Sophie Okonedo, um, like, she's doing a lot. She's actually going to also be in a show that I keep talking about because I'm anticipating it that much, The Wheel of Time, playing one of the best characters, Suan Sanche. And I'm super excited to see her take on Suan, uh, especially since this is a colorblind casting and Suan looks is not looks literally nothing like, like Sophie. But if she can give what she gave to this character of Caroline in The Wheel of Time. We are in for a freaking amazing treat. And I think she's really going to be really going to bring life to the character of Suan. And I'm really, really, really excited about that. Okay, so let's let's talk about Flack. So as I was saying, I discovered it last year and I was really pleasantly surprised and I actually learned something. I didn't know that uh, PR, people who are in public relations, are referred to as flack or the flack. Um, so I learned that was new. I was like, oh, okay. So we're out here learning stuff. And also I really, 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 really love shows um, that focus on the inner workings of Hollywood and the inner workings of celebrity and all the BTS that happens. I love stuff like that. It's, it's super interesting to me. It feels very almost like telling on yourself, like where you're like fictionalizing something, but it's actually very realistic in what actually goes on behind the scenes and they're able to actually do that under the guise of storytelling and um by over dramatizing events and people and stuff like that but really and truthfully it's not all that different and so i really love that and i love shows like that um so talking about character i found sophie okonedo's character of caroline to be the most interesting she's so she's ruthless but uh but kind, she's sharp, she's smart, she's witty, she's got the best one-liners and you do not want to play with her not one day, okay? she You don't want to play with her at all. You do not want to mess with her. She is a tour de force and I love that about her. I think that Eve is probably the most enjoyable character. Smart, funny, bad bitch, kind of big dick energy. Um, <laughs> she's a woman, but she, she just comes off like that. Um, and then there's Anna Paquin's character, Robin, um, who, you know, is just another one of these very deeply, deeply troubled, have a habit of bleeding all over the people in their lives uh, due to a gross lack of self-discipline and a, key, a complete lack of morals or good character type of characters that Anna Paquin has taken on lately. Um, you know, a la her character uh, in The Affair. I was like, oh my God, this woman is disturbed. Like, this is a mess. Um, and Robin, her character in this show, is no different. And she is the lead. Um, although it is somewhat of an ensemble. We are really more focused on Robin's character and the things that she's particularly going through. So I guess 
what makes these women interesting to me or at least that's all of those things are what makes them interesting so i watched the first season i wasn't really able to sympathize with robin going forward she just continued to make poor choice after poor choice after poor choice um selfishly bulldozing bulldozing everyone in her life all because of her mother of her mother and her mother's issues her mother committed suicide and all of that has seemed to come home to roost within her so she has developed she's an addict she's a narcotics addict um and uh apparently a sex addict but outside of the, her addictions which we you know i i can kind of sympathize with because they're coping mechanisms to deal with the loss of her mother um those things don't really the, uh, they clearly don't help they don't help and for the most part they hurt and everyone just she just seems to not be able to get it together and and but a lot of it's not necessarily the addictions themselves in the first season, but just bad choices um, and other things that must be going on with inside of her that cause her to think that this is the right thing to do. Like, it's just weird. It, yeah, it's, it turns out to be a mess, but I just kind of felt like you're just making bad decisions. Like you just keep making bad decisions. But even in spite of that, um, I had hoped that in season two, Robin would be able to redeem herself and she doesn't. She she actually gets worse if that can actually be believed. And in doing so, she destroys the relationship that means the most to her, which is the one with her sister. She ends up losing her job, which is her lifeline. And she almost gets herself killed. So I'm hoping this is really rock bottom. And I think that's what they were where they were pushing her to towards her character towards in the writing was rock bottom, so that she could then do something to build herself back up. Because it just it just she just. There was no redemption for Robin in this in this in season two, none whatsoever. Uh, we were it was great because we were able to and then okay. So in light of other characters, we we're able to learn more about Eve, why she is the way she is. You know, cliche troubled uh, relationship with her mother because apparently in Hollywood, when we're telling stories, mothers and daughters can never get along, right? Because whatever I don't know what the dissension is because oh I guess because women are competitive and we don't know how to just genuinely support each other uh that's why mothers and daughters must not be able to get along because and then the daughter ends up effed up in some sort of way and it's huge disappointment to the mother and yeah and no matter how old the daughter gets she just can't seem to wrap her head around why her mom is the way she is I don't know just seems to be cliche to me but that's the direction that I went in and we get to learn that about Eve um and we also learned that she's not really as cold-hearted uh at, that she comes across as like we kind of feel like she's for the most part this cold-hearted biatch but after all she's really not that way um once she decides she has your back she will defend it that to the ground and she doesn't care who she steps on uh in that defense of you which is amazing uh that she's that loyal um and then there's sweet sweet melody whose life um, Doe seems to be on the come up and is actually better than Robin's. At least she has a stable place to live. Robin, who has a full-time job as a grown woman and appears to be making a decent amount of money, doesn't seem to have anything to show for it. And even though she has years within this industry, I don't necessarily know if that has anything to do with her addiction. I don't know if it has anything to do with the choices that... No, it has everything to do with the choices that she's making. The woman can't even afford a hotel room. Like, I just... Things like this don't make sense. All these nice clothes, bag shoes, whatever. Can't afford a hotel room. Just to get herself together for a few days. A week. A month. 
An Airbnb? Oh my God, come on, Robin. Seriously. You don't have a credit card? Lord have mercy. Um, but Melody, <laughs> I digress. Like Robin annoys me. If you, I don't know if you guys could tell, but um, Melody just seems to be able to is. So Melody's like on the come up and she's doing well for herself, but then she gets like this really bad news about her dad. And then she's struggling to deal with the guilt that she's feeling about not immediately rushing home to be there to support her mother and to be with her father. Um, difficult choices to make, but she's young yet. And at the end of the day, the core of Melody is that she's got a really, really big heart and she really wants to support her clients as well as her team. Um, and I really like that and appreciate and respect that about Melody. So we get a nice little introduction of some eye candy into the cast this season in the form of Daniel Day Kim. Lord in heaven, that man is fine. He plays a client of Eve's who she ends up starting to date. Um, but turns out that uh, he's he's also a billionaire, tech startup billionaire. Um, but he's controlling. And he doesn't really seem interested in who Eve is as a whole person, but merely as an appendage to his own self, which sucks. It's such a pity because I really would have liked to see that turn into something worthwhile for Eve because he fine, he fine, that minute he fine, he fine, he fine, he fine. And, and outside of that, like, it really is the whole pretty woman dream. She's not a hoe, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like he spoils her, he whines her, he dines her. But what else is there? You know, that's kind of like the annoying little thing that happens with them. But sucks because I really wanted it to be something. Um, But overall, I feel like the problem with this season was that it tried very hard to be woke. Like, okay, so this is my, I, I the things that I, I, I just didn't like. It just tried so hard. It felt very ranty. It felt very like preachy and soapboxy. And um, I just kept feeling like every single time there was like this monologue or rant or whatever, I was just like, my God, that's a lot. Like, there's a lot. That's a lot. Like, wow. I see what you're trying to do. And you could have did it in a more subtle way. But man. Anyway, here's the whole thing that Robin gets it together in season three. Flax season one and two are both streaming on Amazon Prime and I definitely think that you should watch. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It's dramatic. It's funny. It's interesting. And if you want to really kind of see, from a British perspective especially, the inner workings of like fame and fortune and all of that, uh, definitely watch. I think, I think it will be worthwhile. And if you're not into that, watch it anyway. Okay, so the last show in this segment. The one I chose for what's up next, which is kind of happening right now, <laughs> is Loki. And Loki stars Tom Hiddleston returning as the god of mischief, Loki, Gugu and Bathu Ra as Ravona Renslayer, Owen Wilson as Agent Mobius, one and Wanmi Mosaku as Hunter B15. Okay, this is like the first show that I've talked about. Probably one, okay, so one of two shows out of the five that are not on Amazon Prime, because I did did give you guys a little bit of sweet tooth di discussion as well, and that's on Netflix. But Panic, Younger, and Flack are all on Amazon Prime, and Loki is on Disney+. Plus. So Loki, the God of Mischief, is back for more antics, and also it's on Wednesdays. So don't go looking for this show to be dropping on Fridays like the other previous shows that Disney Plus has dropped um, from Marvel's Phase 4. So 
here's the thing. Like, I totally forget that this show is coming on. Like, I do. Um, I am completely forgot about uh, episode three and didn't watch it for, like, maybe a week and a half. I literally just watched it last night and um, and watched and did a, you know, double, double feature and watched episode four as well. And episode four was, whoa, like, lots happened. And I'm actually like, how many episodes are we actually getting? Because it felt like a penultimate episode. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. And episode four was also the only episode that had a post-credit scene. So you want to stick around for that. Um, so yeah, let me just tell you right off the bat, there are four episodes available. And like I said, they drop on Wednesdays. So this show premiered on June 9th, even though it had originally been advertised to premiere on June 11th, but they moved it up a couple of days. So it came out on June 9th. And just to repeat myself one more time. There are four episodes currently available. Okay. All of that being said, when I previewed the show for y'all, um, I told you that Loki would be taken to the Time Variance Authority, which is a clandestine organization that sits above the multiverse and exists outside of time that manages the sacred timelines within the multiverse, right? So apparently the TVA was created by the timekeepers and though, and the timekeepers uh, kind of ensure that all the things that are supposed to be happening are happening. And well, if you remember from the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, Loki, okay, actually, no, if you, remember, okay, from the first Avengers movie, uh, Loki was taken into custody and then taken back to Asgard, right? In Endgame, the Avengers went back into each, like back into time through quantum time leaping, whatever. They, I told y'all this stuff confuses me. Um, <laughs> so that they could go back to specific places where each of the, um, each of the infinity stones was and grab them so that they can put them in a gauntlet and prevent Thanos from ever getting them. Right. Okay. So, in the new version, uh, what ends up happening, or in the end game, what ends up happening is during the original Avengers timeline, when Loki is being arrested and um, and taken down out of uh, out of uh, Stark Tower, he ends up stealing the Tesseract. Well, that was not a part of the plan, and so because of that, the TVA steps in and they nab him. Now, what ends up happening is while he is being interviewed and beat up, which is actually quite funny, um, Owen Wilson's character, uh, Agent Mobius, decides that he wants to try to use him to solve another case. And the case is that of another Loki. So a Loki from another universe is raging through the sacred timelines, killing Minutemen, and stealing um, resetting devices. So also to note, um, and so basically they enlist our Loki's help, but this is not our Loki. So let me just note that this is not our Loki. This is not the Loki from the end of Ragnarok. This is the Loki that we know from the first Avengers movie. So he has not been redeemed at all. Um, and this makes for a tricky situation because Obviously, the number one question is, is he trustworthy? And that's basically what we're trying to figure out throughout the entire first four episodes of the show. Is he trustworthy? Which is, um, 
And we're, you know, we're just kind of waiting for that answer. So Hunter B15, uh, who's played by Wimmy Mosako, um, she doesn't seem to think so. Also, just a note on her. If you don't recognize her name, that's okay. You will recognize her face. She plays Ruby in the last year's smash hit Lovecraft Country. Um, she was a tour de force in that show. They put her in exceptionally awkward, strange, liberating and discussion worthy situations. And she rose to the occasion um, with her character of Ruby. She did fantastic. I loved her in that show. Um, I actually have, there's a curiosity here for me. Um, something I just kind of feel I need to know and complete sidebar. Ruby is, or the actress who plays Ruby, the actress who plays Hunter B-15, with me, she's actually only 5'8". Which is basically tall, maybe, yeah, but a little bit just slightly above average, not incredibly so. It's not like she's 5'11", or like Gwendolyn Christie, who's like 6'3". But for whatever reason, the way they film her, it makes it seem as though she's so much taller than she is. And I'd say, I don't know, is that because most actors are so short? I don't know. But it's weird to me. I'm just like, why does she seem so much taller? When I actually saw her height, I was like, she's not that tall. Anyway, okay, let me just, you know, get back to the original programming. Um... So the show also stars Google and Batha Ra as Ravona Renslayer. She's the director of the TVA and she's Owen Wilson's boss, Agent Mobius's boss. Um, and then actually the variant Loki is a woman, spoiler alert, um, and she's played by Sophia DiMartina, um, aka Sylvie. So we just actually found her, got her name, Sylvie, in episode four. Um one thing about Disney is they are going to tie everything back to the movies and they do that better than any cinematic universe that's out there that also has crossovers with television shows. This is not an argument. This is not up for discussion. This is just a fact uh, and there really is nothing to debate there. All right. Cool. Glad you're here. Anyway, so, you know, episode one had to take us back to the moment when Loki stole the Tesseract and then finds himself at the mercy of Hunter B-15 and the team and her team. It also provides us with one of the best and funniest moments of the show thus far um, in episode one. And I literally, I, I probably laugh for a good five minutes after, um, after that first interaction, after he first meets Hunter B-15 for the first time. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. So as I said, there are four, four episodes out now. I would say that if you are into phase four Marvel, you will love it. If you're into Marvel period, you'll love it. If you're into superheroes, you'll love it. If if you're just like into nerdy comic-y stuff, you'll love it. If you're into sci-fi, you'll love it. Like if pick a genre that is not just standard drama, action, blah, you will love it. It is very funny. It's funnier than the other shows and has just enough action um, and to kind of keep your interest going. Plus... It really, really works at extending the multiverse, which is exciting in and of itself because we're going to see more of that um, as Marvel unveils more of its properties and more plans for each additional phase. So yeah, I would, I actually am really enjoying the show. As I said, uh, episodes drop on Wednesdays. They drop weekly like they've done with the previous uh, shows that they've had out. Um, it's on Disney Plus, it's global, and I would definitely say you should watch it. All right, on to what's what what was up, what's up now, and what's up next for movies. So, and there's, you know, let me let me do my maths. <laughs> there are only three. I promise, there are only three. Okay, and I have seen all of these already. 
So and I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible. As I noticed, if I'm telling you guys about stuff that's coming up, it's super easy and I can get in there and I can get out. But as soon as I start talking about stuff that I've seen, child, I can be going on forever and ever and ever and ever. And I've been trying to make these episodes shorter and it's just not happening. <laughs> but it is what it is. We're here for a good time, not a long time, right? Okay. Okay. So the first film, the one that I chose for what was up is Raya and the Last Dragon, a Disney Plus feature. It did have premiere access. But now it is streaming. So as, uh, as part of your subscription. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription, you'll be able to watch this without having to pay for premiere access. All right. Um, so Ray and the Last Dragon. It's super fun. So heartwarming. You know, just your typical kids film adventure story hero journey. And um, but what I really like and appreciate about it is that it depicts a culture that's rarely represented within Disney films or in Hollywood in Hollywood's depiction of Eastern cultures at all. So the film stars Aquafina as Sisu, who's the last dragon, Kelly Marie Tran as Rhea, Isaac Chan as Buon, Gemma Chan as Namari, Daniel Day Kim um, as Benja, and Benedict Wong as Tong, and Sandra Oh as Verana. Um, so Ray and the Last Dragon tells the story of how the peoples of Kumandra are divided when the Droon, which are like an evil negative energy, was actually a negative, it's the negative energy of humanity, like that kind of takes on, um, a form, basically invades the country and begins to turn people to stone. And by the way, the culture that I'm talking about is Filipino culture. <laughs> I realized I was like, wait, did I mention that? I did not. So yes, it's Filipino culture that's rarely represented. Um, and like I said, in Disney, um, and well, heck, like I said, also, like I also said in Hollywood, in Hollywood's depiction of Eastern cultures, like we very rarely see Filipino culture, Filipino culture represented. Can I get my words out? Dang it. Anyway, I'm back. All right. As I was saying, so the Droon, they, it is basically the physical manifestation of humanity's negativity negative energy and so the drone invade and they begin turning people to stone now at this time in this land of kumandra dragons existed and dragons would provide and protect the people who lived in the land and so the dragons came together to fight the drone until one very sad day there are literally like no dragons left the dragons have basically been defeated and there's like maybe like five or six left they all happen to be family and um, in one last desperate act, they combine their power to defeat the Droon, which they do, leaving only one dragon left. And that is Sisu. So, but Sisu kind of disappears. So she's done her job. She's done what she had to do. And she has disappeared from, from the land. And she kind of exists otherworldly, right? But there is a way to find her and awaken her if there is ever a need for her. And... Well, a need does present itself. And that happens um, when Kumandra basically becomes divided. And there is a plot from one area of Kumandra to steal um, the dragon's jewel, which is basically protected by the people of another part of Kumandra. Um, so, and that happens because Rhea basically trusts the wrong person and I saw that happening. I was like, mm hmm this girl is only pretending to be your friend, Rhea. She does not love you. She is not about you. She is just trying to get information out of you. So said, so done. But if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't have a story. So of course, right? It is 
what it is. I just had to accept it. Anyway, <laughs> the plot to steal the dragon's jewel goes horribly awry and basically dis releases the droon again. They come back and Commandra is descended into like this dystopian, um, um, it, like, dra like stone laden part of the world. Like nothing exists. People droon are basically everywhere and everybody is kind of using their shards of the dragon jewel to to stay safe and to stay alive so obviously you know what happens next Rhea has to go on a quest to awaken sisu defeat the droon once and for all restore kumandra which was her father's dying wish because you know they are all separated they're into their own separate little factions and and then also try to get him back too because he's turned to stone um during the plot to steal the dragon jewel the result is basically this super funny, uh, fun-filled journey uh, filled with tribe building. And I love a good tribe building like situation. Like I am so here for it. Let, like let's find people who I can connect with, who can help me to achieve my goals and in the end become my family, even though they are my friends. Love that. I love it more when it involves babies who steal and have a crew of monkeys who help them steal. I love it even more. If that's what you're going to find in Rhea in The Last Dragon. Um, not to mention a solitary warrior and a child boat captain slash restaurateur. Like, he does it all, this kid. He, he, he's he got his whole life together. He's got his life together more than me. I need, I need, he should probably give me some, some pointers on how to get one's life together. I don't understand how he is the only child left in his family. He'd be running a boat and a restaurant at the same damn time. Can we talk about it? Okay, anyway. So in the end, there's this like huge act of selflessness and sacrifice that really, it actually brought me to tears. I don't know what I was stressed out or emotional or going through a hormone or going through something. I don't know. But I was just like, this is so like beautiful. Um, in the end, I really enjoyed the film. I really liked it. I thought it was perfect for families uh, or for, you know, yeah, big kids like me. Um, and yeah, so that's Ray and the Last Dragon. It's available on Disney Plus globally. So the next movie was so unexpected. Like, and it's the one I chose for What's Up Now. I also chose Ray and the Last Dragon for what's up, What Was Up because it did come out last year. It had a good little run in Premiere Access and then finally, you know, whatever. So that's kind of, it's the timing of the release that kind of helps me to choose these, choose the, the like what movie for what segment. In any case, so for What's Up Now, I chose a movie that actually came out for Valentine's Day of this year and... I, it was not on my radar at all. And it was so surprising. I, like, I just, I, I was so surprised by it that I loved it. Um, and so I was like, I definitely going to talk about this on the podcast and people, more people need to see this movie anyway. So there are a lot of Groundhog Day movies. There aren't a lot of Groundhog Day or temporal anomaly movies that mention Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day is arguably, arguably, it's like I have a new tongue. Arguably, arguably the original and probably most famous temporal anomaly movie that's out to date. Lo and behold, we're talking about two of them in the for the remainder of this segment. And the first is Map of Tiny Perfect Things. And it's definitely the better of the two. So as if I haven't said, I actually really love this movie. Like I said, also, it premiered on Valentine's Day of this year on Amazon Prime. But let's be real, we were all watching to all the boys I've loved before, always and forever. Because that's what we were doing this Valentine's Day. And if you weren't, um, I don't I don't know if we can be friends. 
<laughs> and if you were like me, you probably watched the first two movies right before the third one dropped just to prepare, which I did. Um, so of course this movie went straight over my head, like completely didn't even catch it on the radar at all. But I can honestly tell you, uh, that I had no real reason for watching this movie. Like, I don't know why I decided to watch it other than at the moment it kind of suited my mood. Um, but I'm really, really glad that I did watch it. Did I say I loved it? <laughs> so the movie stars Catherine Newton as Margaret. If you've seen The Society on Netflix, that's where you'll know her from. And Cal uh, Kyle Allen is Mark. He's from American Horror Story and The Path. Um, and it's adapted from a short story by Love Grossman, who also wrote the script. The movie opens like months after Mark. He's woken up and he's absolutely mastered. And I mean, he's killing it at life, living the same day over and over and over again. He, he seems to be really cool with it. He doesn't know why it happened to him and, but he's just kind of like going along with it and basically hasn't tried to figure out how to stop it or prevent it or even tried to figure out why it's continuing to happen. And he also seems to believe that he's the only one having this experience. Um, and that has been pretty much proven on his day to day for like the last three months that he's been living this way. Uh, he hasn't crossed paths with anyone who's awake in this town until one day, um, while he's on his get the girl mission. So there's a girl he's crushing on her and every single day he tries to get her attention, tries to get her to notice him. But on this particular day, Margaret walks right into his path and blows his life up. So from the point that he sees Margaret, who is a complete disruption to his, like every day is the same. Um, Mark is completely focused on finding Margaret and figuring out why uh, only they are the ones who know what's going on. And in the process, he falls head over heels. And it's so freaking cute. Like I literally was like, there was one moment I was like, I was grinning so dang hard. I was like, oh my God, that was so cute. Anyway, <laughs> problem, <laughs> problem is that Mark thinks that this day is all about him. So initially he feels like this is about him. It's whatever something has happened. It, it's cool though. Like I said, cause he's not trying to figure out why, but he does think that it's about him. But when in fact it actually has nothing to do with him, he's just a part to play in a, somebody else's bigger scheme. And that is some, and that person's, uh, the person whose story this is actually about is Margaret. But we don't know that for maybe like, I want to see three quarters of the movie. Probably not to the third act. And I love, I, oh God, the change of perspective. They did it so well. I loved it. 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 I nearly bit my tongue saying that. <laughs> um, so Margaret is kind of like in the midst of a life-changing event. And this is actually what triggers her desire for more time, thereby causing the loop. So the story itself is simple enough. Um, it's really the performances and the delivery of the dialogue. It's their exchange. I love witty banter and I love quick-witted banter. Th really has this. Like, it really has it. I, I like also when actors are able to change. Let me tell you something. Trying to record a podcast under certain circumstances is, like, hazardous. <laughs> There's, like, so much noise pollution happening around me right now. I'm, like, so annoyed. Anyway... <laughs> So as I was saying, Margaret has had this like life-changing situation happen. It's caused, which is actually the reason for the time loop. I was talking, oh yeah, the perspective shift in the third 
third act. Really, 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 really liked that. Um, oh, I was saying, I like when actors are able to change the, like change the volume of their, of their voice to deliver lines. Like it's not all delivered at the same, same tone. Um, and same level. I love that. I love that. It just, for some, whatever reason, it just makes them feel more real, more authentic. And, uh, Mark is really, really good at that. Um, and he's really adorable as well. And he has like the right amount of likability and charm mixed with awkwardness. And it just kind of makes him really irresistible. I mean, like, that's my opinion anyway. Um, like I said, I found myself cheesing throughout the entire movie and then like tearing up and then like saying, oh, and then tearing up and then could be hormones, but whatever. Um, in the end, love wins. Margaret kind of accepts that she has to move on and, uh, that she's in fact not alone. Cause really that's like, that's the the meat of it. Like she just kind of feels like she's going to have this, she's going to have to go through life alone. But because Mark plays like this integral part of her story, she just doesn't know it yet. So she kind of has to figure that out. And when she does, it's like, Oh my God, like he, that's the reason why he's the only one that's awake because he has to be, it's just like, Oh man, probably going to watch that again. You know, (laughs) probably watch it a few more times. Um, yeah, I just kind of like really loved it. I love the whole theme. I love the premise. I love everything about it. Uh, very teenage angsty stuff and which is like my bag. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, but I really would highly recommend this movie. Uh, like I said, it's streaming on Amazon Prime now. And that is Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Okay, so the last movie and I that I chose is for What's Up Next. And it's called Boss Level. So another temporal anomaly movie and yeah, I mean, again, Amazon prime is like blowing up this entire episode. I should probably just call this like this episode, like Amazon prime and a couple of Netflix <laughs> and a Disney and a Netflix. <laughs> That's what I should just call this because dag gone near everything I'm talking about today is Amazon prime. Um, so boss level, boss level stars Frank Grillo as Roy Pulver, um, just kind of basically like killing more accurately, trying not to be killed during his wash, rinse and repeat day. So just like Mark in map of tiny, perfect things, they have mastered their temporal anomaly day. They know exactly what's going to, what's going to happen and when, um, the only problem and not the only problem, but a big problem and a major difference is that that people are trying to kill Roy, right? Um, and he doesn't make it past a certain point every single day. Every single day at a certain time, he kind of dies. Okay, finally, where when the movie starts, though, he makes it past that point. He's like, oh my God, I made it past this point. What do I do now? What do I do now, right? Um, somebody wants Roy dead. He doesn't seem to know who, but he does figure that it has something to do with XY slash baby mama, Gemma Wells, who's played by Naomi Watts. Um, it seems that because of what had happened the day before, now the day before had happened month, like about three, four months ago at this point, but the day before Roy had gone to go visit uh, Gemma and somehow became, got on the watch list of Colonel Clive Venter, who's played by Mel Gibson, um, who thinks that Roy knows too much or is that Roy is a threat. The, the movie doesn't really make clear why Colonel Venter decides to like target Roy. Um, but 
I mean, okay, it's fine, whatever. It, 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 it's full of action, so you're just like, oh, explosions, oh, gunfire, oh, knives. So, <laughs> whatever. Um, not that important. It's not deep, so it's like, okay, Roy is a threat, Roy must die. It did take me some time to get through the film. I was losing interest through it. It is chock full of action, like I said, so you're, there's like dazzle and razzle. Um, but Roy is skilled. He knows what we know and which is that he has to figure out why he's being hunted and save Gemma in order to stop the day from repeating itself. So what does Roy get in return? Well, primarily to live, but also to spend time with his son who doesn't know that, that he is his father while he figures out what to do. So he gets all this quality time with his son. Um, which I mean, I like that. Um, in the end, Roy figures it out. He kills Clive, saves Gemma and put then puts himself at risk all over again to I don't really understand that part. That's basically at the very end. I don't really get that, but he does. Um, And oh yeah, so the anomaly is like caused because Gemma built a time machine and put Roy's DNA into it, hoping that he would be able to figure it out and come and save her. I don't know why she thought she needed saving. Oh boy. Anyway, so (laughs) be be prepared for language. Lots and lots of blood, lots of killing. Um... And I mean, that amounts to everything from sword fights, hand-to-hand combat, gun battles, knife fights, um, people getting blown up, like mainly Roy, car chases. Uh, It's raucous, but overall, it's just kind of like, meh. I mean, it's a fun distraction if it can hold your attention. That's exactly how I would describe it. Fun distraction if it can hold your attention. And that's boss level. And it's streaming now on Amazon Prime globally. All right, so welcome to Hollywood. Um, and didn't I tell you that that last segment was gonna be much shorter <laughs> than the TV segment? Oh, nailed it. Anyway, so welcome to Hollywood. So what's happening? What's the tea? What's popping? Well, this is what's popping. So in episode five, I told you about Netflix Geek Week, and I'm only really gonna I'm just gonna focus on, like I said in my intro the things that I was looking to see. So Geek Week was from June 7th to June 11th. It was free and it was online and it was streamed live on YouTube. So if you want to go back um, and see what was talked about and see all of the different features, interviews, cast roundtables, table readings, etc., you can just jump on Netflix. I mean, sorry, jump on um, either geekweek.com or go straight to the Netflix channel on YouTube and you'll be able to see and watch all the replays. So what were the most interesting things for me that came out of Geek Week? Confirmation that Shadow and Bone is coming back for season two. We got the full trailer for Gunpowder Milkshake. Um, I learned about an anime, Filipino. Amazing, right? I thought I just talked about that with Ray and the Last Dragon and I thought this was super cool. Um, an anime... Um, that comes out of the Philippines that is called Tresse, already now streaming on Netflix. It dropped uh, June 11th, I think it came out. Um, Super pleasant surprise. I haven't watched it yet, but I was like telling all my friends. Um, And then the thing that I was waiting for the most, the most, and I had to wait all week for it, was The Witcher. 
So I was hoping we we're going to get a trailer, a release date, something. What we got was a teaser. A teaser that confused us even more than what we had seen before. And I was annoyed. And everybody collectively groaned and wanted to punch something. Or maybe just me. Because I had waited all week. And I'd watched all of the segments for this moment. To get a teaser with no release date. Why are you guys doing this to me? I have a feeling The Witcher is going to drop either Q4 of this year or Q1 of next year, which would put it, if it drops this year in Q4, is going to put it in direct competition with The Wheel of Time, which is coming this year. We just started Q3, so I don't... No, we haven't started Q3. What quarter are we in? I, I can't even keep track. Whatever. But it's coming. And it's coming this year. And I mean, by, the wheel, by it, I mean the Wheel of Time. So, and we just got confirmation of that because they just released it. So we know it's coming. So I really actually feel like I don't want them both to drop at the same time. I want to be able to pay attention. Just focus on one property because they're both huge fantasy series and they're both great. Um, one, uh, the Wheel of Time premiering for the first time and then The Witcher coming in for season two. Um, both have huge followings, huge established fandoms. I'm, I just don't want to have to split my attention. And I feel like what Amazon's going to do with Wheel of Time is they're not going to drop all the episodes at once, which I actually don't want them to. I want to revel in it. I want to, I want to be, I want to anticipate each episode, each moment, each new thing, um, each new set, each new, I'm so excited. Um, each, everything. So I, I really hope they don't, but any, in any case, yeah, I didn't get what I wanted regarding The Witcher, but nonetheless, teaser trailer. And it's you can watch the teaser on YouTube. You could watch it on the Geek Week Instagram page. You can do all of that. Yeah, so also we got Stranger Things casting announcements, but really they were just kind of letting us know that they're still in production for season four of Stranger Things, which is the other show that I was really interested in finding out information about and hopefully trying to get a trailer or a release date or something, but they're still working on it. So that's cool. They can take their time. Um, I know that production levels probably have gone through the roof on Stranger Things. It really has improved in production value since the first season. And like I said, you really need to watch Stranger Things. It's it's like sci-fi, sci-fi creature feature, 80s pop culture, like plethora of goodness. It's good. It's good, good. Um, yeah, so that was basically like Geek Week. Netflix is Geek Week. Like I said, go to YouTube watch everything, catch up on the replays or go to their Instagram and, um, and just like see all the little tidbits that they've dropped. It's bomb. Okay. So in more news, there has just been a new trailer for a black Western called The Harder They Fall, which is a remake. And the cast is bonkers. The cast is bonkers. You guys have to see this trailer. It drops in fall. I cannot wait. I will literally, like, that will definitely be a, a, um, a movie I talk about on the podcast. Probably end up in season two or maybe at the trail end of season one, but whatever. We're definitely going to be talking about that. Like, I might actually have to dedicate a whole episode to that because it's that sick. Like, it, the cast is like, I can't even. Like, it's like Idris Elba, Regina King, Jonathan Majors, um, Lakeith Stanfield, um, 
That's it, Idris. That y'all. Ooh, baby. Ooh, I cannot wait for that. Um, definitely, like I said, you need to see the trailer. All right. And also, Fast Nine premiered on June 25th. It is actually after its first weekend in the box office, it is the number one film in the world. Um, and it's doing amazing, 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 amazing. So shout out to them. I still haven't seen it yet, but I'm I'm going and I'm, whether the, I watch it in the theaters or watch it at home, it's probably going to be a home thing still, but you know, whatever, <laughs> this is where we are. Trail end. They were, they, we were just getting our freedom back. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, and I don't see myself jumping into the theaters anytime soon, but I definitely will be watching because I've seen every single one of these films and I really love this franchise and they're going to be making two more. So, eh, you know, we'll see. So, yeah, that's what's up in Hollywood. <laughs> you know what that means. It's time for Twitter me laughing. So I was telling you guys at the beginning of the show that um, I was going to be focusing on tweets about Younger, specifically the series finale. And that's what we are going to do. They roasted, they roasted the, they roasted the crap of this series finale, y'all. They did not like it. No, they did not. All right. So like I was saying, they did not like it, y'all. They, they like the Twitter dumb, the Twitterverse, they did not. It, they were not here for this ending at all. Uh, Jenna, uh, Yohanna said, <laughs> tweeted, how did the hashtag younger TV writers think that this was a good ending? You can count on one hand how many interactions they had in the final season, which is true. And I'm, and by they, I'm, they're talking about Liza and Charles. It, it, I, I just, ugh, it was really disappointing. <sighs> Jenna Morrow tweeted, hashtag younger spoiler. Younger TV spoiler. We deserve the sappy I knew it ending that we've been waiting seasons of yo-yoing for. Not another yo-yo ending. And that's exactly what it was. It was very much another yo-yo ending. And I, I was just like, okay, I wanted something definitive. But um, yeah, just just a hard no. Um, something positive. Paperclip Ninja at Paperclip underscore Ninja tweeted, things I would have paid to see on Younger TV. Cheryl Sussman and Quinn Tyler meeting. Um, it's a hard no. I hated Cheryl Sussman with a passion. Um, she was jealous and bitter. Um, and yeah, no. And her and Quinn together, uh, no, 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 no. All they would have done is try to take Liza down and we're not here for it. So boo. Um, Jen at JenBlay78 tweeted, pretty much my reaction to the Younger TV series finale. It is a gif from Jurassic Park of Dr. Ian Malcolm when he sees dinosaur poop for the first time it's like that is one big pile of bleep <laughs> she was not here for it either oh my goodness like like i said uh lots of just just disgruntled fans who waited and waited for something um and it just did not happen so the final tweet also comes from um, at Jen Blaze, which is a retweet. She's actually responded to somebody else uh, and says, this brilliant IG commenter's poem hits the nail on the head for me. Hashtag Younger TV. Finale, the poem. Liza may have may have scammed to reach a goal, but Darren Starr is the biggest scammer of all. Darren Starr created the show, also created Sex and the City. Um, 
gave Charles random flaws so Josh would shine, ruined seasons of buildup, but sure, that's fine. We watched, we waited, all characters got botched, fans baited, the whole season ended up a waste, and all because of some dumb two-minute pilot copy and paste. Because <laughs> there was, there was like a lot of callbacks from the first season in the last season. Um, and someone also, I also read somewhere that someone said like this season went super um, rom-com. So, which was true, but nowhere near as fulfilling as any rom-com I've, I've ever seen. Like just nowhere near as fulfilling. In any case, we have made it to the end of yet another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you guys. Like I said, tell a friend, share it, post it, talk about it. Let me know um, what you guys are watching and would be interested in hearing me talk about. And um, yeah, we will see you on the flip side in the next episode, the next time. Thank you for listening. This is your bestie, your BFF. Nicole, aka Nikki, and this has been the Obsessible Podcast.